people are so needy. God. I just sat down. <laughs> Hello, Carter Rice. Hello, everybody. Aww. Happy day. Uh, in a manner of speaking. Not, not really. But I, I mean, disagree later. It's the, it's, the, it's the power of positive thinking, you know? You gotta, sure. This is why this is why I like you, Carter. And why the hell haven't you just been around virtually in my life more often? It's you know I doing found, eight thousand things. I was gonna say I'm I'm oddly in demand virtually these days because I think I think everyone Are you camming? at WMU. Sorry, what? Are you camming? I, of course, yeah. Well, I mean, I gotta make a living, but um, uh, all the uh, a lot of people at Western Michigan I have offered or been hired in some capacity to help with teaching online and like helping people figure out the tech and all the setup for going remote. So um, that's been time consuming but rewarding and fun to help out colleagues. So. Um, yeah, you know, how are you, how are you God, fine? Three beautiful you're people. Like, you're like a saint, Carter. You're a uh-huh. saint and we love you. Well, that is, that's the fourth nicest thing anyone said to me today. That's just <laughs> that's great. Oh, and oh Rob, I read, it's been a while since I've done one of these. I should turn my microphone around, right? I want it facing the wrong <laughs> right, way. Yeah. That's, please, I think that's please what we decided. That. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was funny. Explain. Uh, they were oh just my God. one of the the last one that we did with the uh, Andrew and Rob and I. I had my it was just at the end of a very long day, right in the middle of the year, and I my microphone was just pointed the wrong way. And then like two minutes before we finished, I realized and turned it around. And, and he was like, "You know good. what? Uh, should my <laughs> yeah. should my oh and like the entire Carter just opened up. You know, yep. It was not not my finest moments, and uh, especially. Yeah. I, in my first year as a professor of music technology, <laughs> sent a mixed message. Anyway. Oh, my goodness. I oh, am. Yeah. Yes, I'm recording. And actually, Rob, real quick, I wanted to check because the last time we did this, I had a slightly different setup. Um, my interface has a little bit of EQ and compression on my input signal. Do you want that off so that I just send you flat or do you care that it's a little bit uh, treated going in? I don't care. It's it's probably okay, fine. It, See, now that's that's funny because Jamie remarked just before we got on with you two uh, how I was obsessively checking out my sound wave curves. <laughs> oh, sure. On yeah. the, uh, and uh, I, what, I like my sound waves curvy. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Oh, no, me too. I mean, uh, real transients have curves, as they say. And uh, <laughs> I'm lower this a little. I'm, I'm kind of slouching. <laughs> There we go. Sorry. I'm also like, I have to know, say I'm really glad we're doing this tonight because I have had a terrible song stuck in my head all afternoon and I need to get aw. it out. So my challenge sure. is hopefully you guys will get Meatloaf's Anything for Love out of my head. I don't know where it came from. I went for a run. I didn't listen to it. I listened to nothing related to it. I came home and I was like, yeah, meet Lil Watts. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. So that's our well, challenge for the night. Get it out. On, on that note, uh, welcome to Overdrinks. Um, <laughs> it certainly is. Yes. Very, very much overdrinking today. Uh, we've got Andrew, Jamie, and Carter Rice. What's up, Woo! Carter? Hi. Yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely salute. That really works on the audio medium. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use mostly nonverbals tonight. I hope that's okay. <laughs> so uh, tonight we are, uh, we each brought a piece. Um, school is ending for a lot of, uh, for a lot of people. Um, I'm done completely, which is nice. Andrew and Jamie, you're in your last Congrats. week. Carter, where are you? We're in our I'm last in the week first, of classes. I- we're yeah, I'm in, in my. F- oh, okay. Sorry. No, no, no. I'm. I'm sorry. Um, I. I'm in my first week of summer session one. I started on Monday with summer classes. Wow, round oh, two boy. for Carter. <clears throat> yeah. So anyway, uh, we thought we would do a little show and tell tonight. Um, heck yeah. Yeah, heck yeah, some show and tell. So each of us have uh, selected a piece. Usually on, you know. Before the Corona times, usually on an over drinks, we would just select one piece and and like all argue about it, which was very fun. Uh, but tonight we decided to each select an excerpt of a piece and just kind of talk about it a little bit. Carter, I know you have a hard out, so um, <laughs> we'll have you go first. Oh, but sure. before we do that, what are we all drinking? Ooh, yeah. How about you start, Rob? You uh, what do you, what do you drink? I I have a um I have some wine. From a box. Nice. I nice. said that's a really big cup of bourbon, but you're not well lit, so I couldn't tell nah. what color the liquid was. It's purple. 
<laughs> no, just uh, it's a Malbec from a box. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. It'll get the job done. Yep. Andrew and I are both drinking ginger beer tonight. We are running out of options. Yeah. Not willing to go shopping. But the ginger beer is delicious yeah. in this house. So. <laughs> yeah. No, that's good stuff. Um, I am doing a glass of DiSarono on the rocks. Nice. Mm. All right. So, Carter, what's... Uh, <laughs> what? I don't know. It was just a weird lull. And uh, so, bro beans. No, sorry. Wrong word. <laughs> bro no, beans. I think that was, I think that was right. Beef, yeah. I am, I'm the bro beans. He's the beefcake. And it forever shall be that way. It's on right um, after Hey Arnold. Yeah, make it so. Um, so, Carter, what did you bring for us? What What is this piece that you want to talk about that you really, really like? Or maybe don't like? Yeah, I don't know so- why you chose it. <laughs> No, I do. I do really like this piece. Um, so this is a piece called King Tide by a Swedish composer named Anders Hilborg, who is certainly, I mean, quite an established composer, but I have found not as many people in the States know who he is. But I, I know I'm um, like Ryan Olivier and a few other people I remember in the past few years have posted things on social media. I feel like he's kind of like um, uh, maybe the same amount of following like Ratavara has, but just a little bit earlier. Like, I feel like in another even 10, 20 years, his name will be even more known. Um, mm. And um I discovered this piece um, somewhat by accident. Um, Kathy and I went to an Indianapolis symphony concert back when I was still at Ball State. And I think they were doing, it was like a Sibelius symphony, which is what put it on my docket. I wanted to go see because I I really Mm -hmm. like the Sibelius orchestral works. And there was also, I think, Rachmaninoff Piano Concerto 3. It was a really lovely concert. But then they had sort of an opening piece. You know, and I I know we all are familiar that quite often there will be like one new music piece on a concert. It's often first and then you follow it with the Beethoven or whatever. Um, And I remember seeing this piece. and I I just had never heard of Anders Hilborg before. And the piece was written, I forget right now, but it's like post 2000 or it's 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 not it's a relatively new piece. I forget off the top of my head, but I remember like the title of it and I remember reading the bio of Anders Hilborg in the program and I remember setting myself up for thinking that it was really not going to be a piece I liked just something about how it was discussed and who Anders Hilborg had studied with and the fact that it was chosen to open the concert on this um, you know, in the, the middle of Indiana with this with this orchestra that's very good, but the Indianapolis Symphony isn't necessarily the most progressive for new music. So I was sort of setting myself up for for disappointment. And then this piece just impressed me tremendously. I really ended up enjoying it. And if you if you look into Anders Hilborg, he's studied with some pretty intense modernists, and he's also studied with some minimalists. And it was this really, to me, this wonderful welding of those sort of two different styles, this sort of approach to like tone clusters and some some more dissonance with also this sort of rhythmic, uh, rhythmic repetition and um, often more consonant harmonies but without necessarily being tonal and basically what it what it ended up coming down to was that um from someone who doesn't like a lot of work from the minimal composer camp this was a piece that could still maybe fit that definition of being somewhat minimal but was still just so captivating and well orchestrated and well paced and well structured to me and it had just a couple of moments um one of which is in the two minutes that i sent you rob that that we can talk about if we want to listen to it but where the orchestra is building to this really big climax and then almost everyone cuts out but just some woodwinds playing what sounds like an organ and it was just such a perfect moment and i remember it was so rare because i was wanting that to happen like i I, first time hearing a piece i was thinking like oh my god i really hope that this builds to this big textural climax and then everyone except for a few woodwinds drops out and it sounds like an organ and then it happened and I was like, <gasps> you know, I just, it, it, it was really Prophetic. really cool and um and then late it was also fun because later I found out once I learned about Anders Hilborg he's a huge Sibelius fan and if you actually listen to a number of his pieces there's one called Exquisite Corpse which actually has this Sibelius quote in it that's very prominent and it good was just title it was, I don't know it, it is a good one so that is what I have brought today this piece called King, St- King Tide for Orchestra by Anders Hilborg and I am a big fan of it well let's just listen to it and then we'll talk a little bit
Yeah. Yeah, that's go. that's quite cool. Actually, I I have to say, so this is probably going to sound really really weird, but but for me, this is kind of a fusion between uh, Louis Andreessen, yeah, uh, maybe Michael Gordon and Hans Zimmer. That's what I'm getting sure. from this whole oh. thing. Oh, okay. this whole yeah. experience. That's funny because I was going to say the Michael Gordon too, but that's because I had to articulate that whole piece. Um, <laughs> the bassoon <laughs> rushes septet. Yes. Right. Yep. Rushes. Um, that's an hour long, and it's like different lengths of articulations. But um, but I was getting more Haas's in vain and oh. and Michael Gordon's <laughs> rushes. It was very cool. To be honest, yeah. like when you sent this to me and I was making the clip, I was actually a little bit surprised because of mm-hmm. what I know of you and the and the minimal. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I th- I think um, maybe a good way to phrase it, too, is that um, I mean, I, I enjoy music that sort of kind of stays in one kind of sound world for longer stretches of time, which I a reason I maybe like George Crumb, because I feel like he'll he'll kind of stick with the same elements yeah. for a really long time. But the overall flavor doesn't necessarily change. Right. Yes. Yep. Um, and I think that this piece manages to kind of have a cohesive sound world for a very sort of long build, kind of like in a John Luther Adams way. But I think that it, it does so with just such a, a greater degree of variety while still managing to seem cohesive. I also think the orchestration is just really beautiful and how everything sort of blends together. And then I think the overall pacing and structure is just far more engaging and interesting than the sort of more traditional, the people that you really consider like the minimalists, yeah. like the Philip Glass group, you know, um, and again, I mean, and I don't mean to sound um, like I am knocking those people. It's more just of a personal aesthetic choice that I have a hard time getting into that music. But this one, I just it just worked, you know, like there was just something about it that really captured me. And then when listening to other of his pieces, I, I ended up having a really similar effect. And I remember actually uh, Jamie and Andrew, especially. But Rob, I mean, you I know, you know, um, Pair Broman at Bowling yeah. Green. I just don't know how much you would have worked with him. Um, I, I took a number of classes. With Arl him, skills four. Okay. <laughs> yeah. See, there you go. That's great. I, I remember I, I saw him, you know, a few months later, just at, at the new music festival or something, whatever it was. And I was like, do you know Anders Hilborg? And he, he just looked at me and was like, yes. He knew the guy, which makes, of course he would. And, oh. it, um, and it was kind of fun to chat with him about it. But yeah, you know, I just think, I think there's a lot going on here in this piece and I think it's really subtly crafted and it, it achieves its goals really well. And it's one that I've just found myself coming back to so many times. I just seeming, I seemingly never get tired of listening to this piece. I looked it up. This was uh, from 1999. Okay. Yeah. yeah so sense. pretty still fairly recent. And um, the you, thing you yeah. said it was one of the opening pieces. Sorry, Rob, I'm going to interrupt you. <laughs> 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 you said it was one of the opening pieces on the concert. What's the total length of it overall? Like 12 minutes or so. Um, so it's it's kind of, you know, a nice like single movement, like overture type style piece. I don't know if it was ever intended to be written for that, but it, it does work well as a as a concert opener. I think I just drove Rob away. And he- no, I was just turning the light on. Um, <laughs> you very dramatically took off your headphones. I was no, like, I oh, shit. <laughs> I will not what be interrupted. Um, <laughs> no, uh, and, and that excerpt that we took from was what, 10 to 12 minutes? Uh, from the yeah, piece. and it looks like it's it looks like it's just under fourteen minutes, so mm-hmm. a tiny bit longer than I said. But yeah, and that that definitely would be the climax of the piece, and it really does spend the first ten minutes really just kind of slowly building to that. Um, I don't know. It, it's kind of like so like you all know, become ocean, mm-hmm. right? And yep. um, yes. That's a piece that I love half of, and then I hate that <laughs> yes. it's a palindrome. I, yes. it, it, I would have loved it if that piece had uh, some just like if it was asymmetrical and this piece to me, it does that. It, it does just a, because like symmetry is pleasing and asymmetry is just sublime. And I hate how <laughs> symmetrical that piece is. And this piece to me has such a similar kind of flavor to a lot of that, but with just a much, I don't know if better is the right word, at least for me personally, it's just a better sort of oh, sculpting. I to like, it. I think I struggle this with the uh, Bartok music for strings, percussion mm-hmm. and chalice yeah. because of the perfect arch form. I just, sure. I love the I love half of it. Well, and then uh, I'm done. Yeah, Carter brought up Crumb. Uh, Black Angels, of course, is a is a fantastic mm-hmm. uh, arch form. Although, is it because you look at all of the um, asymmetric things that he does within the symmetry? I think that's part mm-hmm. of the beauty of it, where you say asymmetry is sublime. Or I, if I'm misquoting you, I apologize. Was that, is that just you, or or is that a quote from somewhere? The that's to, to the best of my knowledge i i mean if i'm sure someone said something like that but that's my own thing yeah <laughs> yeah i mean um, that, but that's how sorry no 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 that's okay because <laughs> because I'm, I'm still back to this idea of arch form that's one mm. of the reasons why i don't love messian's Churangalila 
Because mm. again, I'm like, oh, when I start, oh, and here we go again. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm done. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not only that. The Undis Martin Oak can only do a couple of things. Hey, you watch your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it can do a couple of things. It just only does a couple of things. <laughs> it can do a lot of things. It just can't project through an, a, a messian size orchestra with all those things. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> uh, so I'm sorry, Rob. You were saying. I don't remember. <laughs> no, I I think I really I um obviously I haven't listened to the whole piece yet. I've only just like listened to that little excerpt. But the thing I noticed that kind of sets it apart from the glass or, or Reich or or you know one of those traditional the uh, the school of American minimalists is that it actually has drive. It's pushing forward. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, it's yeah. not just. Yeah, stasis. It is going somewhere, and it gets there, which is really nice. Yeah, and as you and I really, I really like that that whole, um, you know, the the comment about asymmetry. I'm gonna steal that probably because that's what I'm trying to tell my students all the time. It's like, you know, Mm -hmm. like outliers are a good thing. You know, and yeah. that and that uh, break where you just get the woodwinds and the organ sound—that's an outlier, and it works so well. And that's yeah. what kind of drew you yeah. to this was that outlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I think I, I was liking the whole piece, and then when it delivered on that moment, it suddenly went like, "Okay, this is a piece I'm going to go home and listen to again." <laughs> you know, and <laughs> and I, I remember I was super pleased to find the recording, which is the one I shared with you because it's on the. Um, it's the same record label that actually Pear Broman used to work for this record label, BIS or Holy BIS. Holy crap! You know, I don't know if you knew that. Small um, world. And it's this. It's the same one that um, does all like the Minnesota orchestra recordings with Osmo Vanska. So I was super familiar with this label and they they are, I think, without a doubt, the best label for classical music. And they, all their stuff is recorded so well. So it was just like this little icing on the cake of like, all right, nice. I'm really going to lean into this piece. This was clearly meant for me. <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it amazing how like that that moment was maybe only what, 10 seconds, 15 seconds out of a yeah. 14 minute piece. And yet because of that, you went from pretty good to oh i'm gonna listen to this for the rest of my life you know (laughs) like i've had i've had that kind of thing with so many different pieces where it's just like "Eh, okay Mm -hmm. and then you get that one little nugget that like okay i can forgive a lot because of that thing Mm-hmm. Sure. I think that's how we wanted yeah. to feel about Tarangulila when we went. We were just like, oh, yeah, this is going to be amazing. And the first half was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then we had to wake our teacher up when we had to go home. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mm. Well, cool. Thanks well, for thanks for sharing that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely would recommend uh, you give it a full listen if you get the chance. It is a it is a very lovely work. It was hugely influential on my dissertation. If you ever listen to that, too, mm. you'll hear that there's a big... Um, that I heard that the year I was writing it, I think. So there's a, a lot of connection. Yeah. Nice. So um, I think I'll go next. Do it. And then okay. and then Jamie and then Andrew. How how does that suit suit us? That that sounds good because I think there's a little bit of a synergy or not synergy. There's a connection, tenuous at best, between what Carter just had us listen to and perhaps what I'm mm. going to have us listen to. Perhaps. So. <laughs> um, what I brought is a uh, acousmatic piece by Adrian Moore uh, called The Battle from his uh, album uh, Sequences and Tropes. And uh, this was written in 2013. It's f- 14 plus minutes long. And um, when I, I think I f- like, I can't remember exactly when I bought the CD. I'm thinking maybe it was at the uh, the Kier, uh five year retrospective, like because um, mm. uh, the the guy who runs um, oh man, Emperance uh, Digital. Uh, mm-hmm. What's his name? Jean. I know who you mean, but yeah, I don't, I don't like, know the name. I think it's Jean Jean Francois Denis. Is that? I think I think that's his name. Anyway, he was there. Either way, that was that was thoroughly French sounding enough to convince me. So it's <laughs> probably close. Anyway, he was there, and because a bunch of the composers that were, um, you know, were featured at the BGSU Kier, the BGSU has a Kier residency where they invite a composer to work in their ambisonic studio, and you know, Adrian Moore has done it, John T. Harrison has done it. 
Um, very recently, uh, Eli Fieldsteel did it. Um, so it's so they were having a five year retrospective, and I just went up because it's like Adrian Moore's going to be there, Jonty Harrison's going to be there, a couple other people that I'm not remembering right now were going to be there. It was awesome. It's like a who's who. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, 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 exactly. And um, I think I bought that that disc while I was there. And then I remember driving back from BG to Athens, listening to it. And even in the car, which, you know, sucks because you have so much road noise and everything else. Even in the car, this one really struck me. Like this piece, and we're going to listen to the first uh, about two minutes of it. The opening is so goddamn good. Um, and I'll, uh, I'll save comments um, until after because I just want to play it right now. So this is The Battle by Adrian Moore. Okay, so the second half didn't disappoint, and it doesn't overrule my pedestrian shout out during one of the interruptive silences. It's a strong. Piece. Well, right, but but, you, but, but if no you one's hadn't commented on it. We could have silenced you. We can still silence me. Yeah, so no one's gonna know that you you talk during it. So except they will now if they've listened. <laughs> hey, hey, Rob, was that? I believe that that was the two-minute excerpt on electrocd.com, which I found very quickly after you also. It's the first two minutes, so I was able to listen on my computer synchronously with you guys in higher quality. I feel really happy that I made that happen. Oh, look at you. Because, I mean, don't get me wrong, none of these pieces are going to translate well, like, over Skype audio. Of course, it hinders things, but I feel like just a piece of this nature, there's even, like, more attention to that kind of sonic detail, so I'm glad. I mean, and I think I've heard this piece years ago, but it was fun to just hear it this way. I just wanted to share. Yeah. So, I mean, this, this opening in particular, like, I love the sounds. I love the gestures. I love I love everything about it. I love the fact that I can't identify anything. You know, I'm not playing the and I I I know I've talked about this with someone on the podcast before. I'm not playing the um you know, the acousmatic game of identification. I can just kind of mm, lose yeah. lose myself in the sonic world that he's creating and it is so finely detailed the the world he yeah. creates and the fact that i don't have to um the fact that i don't have to play that game of like oh well uh, that sounds like this and that sounds like this and that sounds like this it just allows me to kind of slip into the piece that much more 
I agree. <laughs> um, no, oh, I, that's I, really I, good feedback. <laughs> No, no, no. I, I mean, I think I think that's a really good point. Anytime we talk about, I mean, if we, whether we want to use the term acousmatic or not, just any kind yeah. of fixed media electroacoustic music, right? When we suddenly, when we're always dealing with that continuum of referential sounds versus just purely abstract sort of inventive sounds, and I I know of certainly some pieces um, where that's played with intentionally where we sometimes suddenly bring in very referential sounds mm. and how that grounds us and how powerful that can be and also how distracting it can be. I know plenty of pieces where I would go, I really wish I didn't hear the sound of the, the bike wheel, like in every yeah. stupid piece ever, you know, <laughs> um, like, and like my about, very yeah. first fixed media piece. Oh, like, <laughs> like, like everyone's, everyone's okay. Right? Like everyone's. everyone's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think I, I agree that in this piece, yeah, I mean, I, same idea. I can't really, connect anything to other any other outside reference i mean i maybe have a little bit of an internal catalog just to other similar sounds in other similar pieces but n not so similar that i'm like oh well there's the jaunty harrison sound of x y and z right a yeah. and i think that when you can actually really create a work that lives in that that space and continues to be interesting for so long that can be so exciting it's like um it's like someone in I don't know. It's being like 31 years old and someone showing you a color that you didn't know existed yet. Mm -hmm. And it's just so Ooh, cool because yeah. it's just this sensory experience that you feel like you weren't meant to have at that point in your existence. And it can be so phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, with the with the sounds, you know, I I have an understanding of how they're made, you know, like <laughs> but, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, because it's it's a lot of resonant filters and stuff like that. It's uh, like exponential delays and, and things like that. But it doesn't matter. I'm not even listening to that anymore. It's just so musical. And mm -hmm. it it only I mean, John T. Harrison had that thing about how he like never uses reverb or something like that. And I feel like Adrian Moore just takes it like one step removed where he's still willing to put some artificial reverb in there mm -hmm. every once in a while. But still, the majority of the piece is so dry and and clicky and sinewy and oh my god it's it's like when i heard this the first time i was like wow that's the type of electronic music that i want to write yeah i was gonna say if you'll allow me uh uh i think i have a better understanding or a stronger understanding of your musical aesthetic rob over the years of knowing you and talking music with you and having yep. podcasts over drinks and uh as soon as you played this clip even over the uh skype audio i'm like oh yeah rob would definitely uh choose this piece <laughs> because i'm like i'm pretty sure i'm not going to hear all that much reverb it's not going to sound like we get lost in a cave somewhere yeah, <laughs> yep. yeah. but there is a healthy balance where there is some uh a colorful amount you know a touch of things yeah. that just kind of color a nuance but then you get snapped right back into this very present foreground and mm -hmm. i like the fact that there is never a mistake in my mind where the prime material is at any given moment it's like it's carrying me through the piece like a river yeah. which i think is very useful yeah I think the other thing I really like about this piece is, that despite the fact that we are hearing, you know, very even if these sounds started out as you know acoustic sounds that were recorded and then like heavily manipulated, we're still hearing like digital sounds right th throughout that clip and throughout the rest of the piece. But the fact of the matter is, is that it still sounds so organic in a way. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds like yeah. we're. I don't. I don't know. It, it it kind of sounds like we're inside of a body or something. You know, it's it just has that kind of like. It feels. It feels so immersive. Yeah, and like yeah. viscous almost. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really good. So, Rob, I remember at at the Seamus at somewhere. I don't know. They all yeah, the, that the same one. thing. It's the, it's the same fourteen people in an uncomfortable room listening to ninety percent of music that I don't really like. And um, but and by the way, that's that's not. A, that's not a criticism. No, actually, it's really it's not. not. I think it's, that yeah. that's the that's the way at every new music festival, yeah. and I think that's good. Um, yep, exactly. You know, it makes anyway. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to. What I mean to say is, your piece that I think is it's like eight channel and has an optional performer. I forget yeah. which one, but um, it, it, you had played a few years ago, and it in was really excess, great. I think. Yeah. It, 
Yeah, and it got on the CD, right? We yep. all loved it. It, it, it was great. Um, and I remember, like, I was sitting, like, real close to you because I think I was on the same concert, so we had, like, switched seats at the mixer mm-hmm. or something, and I was near, and you got done, and I was like, oh, it sounded great, and you were like, yeah, not a lick of reverb on that piece. <laughs> cracked you up. And, and, um, and I, I remember, I so helped me, I started working on it, and it's just it's a just a silly little fun project, which is why it hasn't been finished because there's no deadline, but I'm, I'm doing a little fixed media piece that's nothing but reverb. <laughs> it's just all, it's uh, all the dry signal taken out and just recordings of the bus on like a reverb track and i i'm gonna sculpt that into something just so beautiful for you and it's gonna be in 18.4 channels it's just gonna wow you just love, all this i love that that i know what's going on in rob's life by what time of day he calls me but you guys know what's going on in rob's life based on the amount of reverb that's surrounding yeah. him. Just very different relationships <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> have, have, have you read um, Adrian Moore's book on composing electronic music? Uh, no. I, it, okay. That one's, the, what's that one called? It's called, I think it's just called Sonic Art or Practices in Sonic Art. I, for, I know Sonic Art is in the title. I, I forget, think, though. I think title. I might have it. I was looking through all of okay. my, um, into like all of my PDFs and stuff. I, I think I might have sure. it. So I might uh, try to check it out or something. I, I just got this beautiful new iPad and I've been like, oh, like, yeah. uh, gathering all the stuff that I'm going to read on it, you know, (laughs) because I hate like all, all of those like articles and stuff that, you know, you download. I hate reading it on a Mm -hmm. computer screen because it's, you know, a rectangle that doesn't conform to the usual rectangle (laughs) of reading. And it's the wrong, it's the wrong rectangle. (laughs) (laughs) But an iPad, an iPad can be both rectangles. I mean, you can, but it's it's much more fun to do it by hand. But if you're writing nasty yeah. notes to the author, it's really much better on an iPad. Yeah, yeah. So or a physical yeah. copy. Yeah. Last night yeah. I went through all my stuff and kind of made a list of what I'm gonna read this summer. It's, um, sure. I'm excited. But it's it's a it's a good book, which is why I mentioned it. I remember I was reading it at the same time. I was kind of alternating chapters between that and Curtis Rhodes' recent composing electronic music. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, that nice. one I, and it, I, I use that, that one, which to is teach. also great. Yeah, it, and it was really fun to read those like side by side and hear these two kind of like giants of this type of music talk about things and the similarities and differences were just fascinating. So awesome. if you haven't read it, I, the fact that you meant just hearing this piece again really put it in my head again. Yeah. It's really it's good stuff. Awesome. Cool. Well. Yeah, I like this piece. Yeah. This is a good one. It, it is, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Rob uh, tested, Carter approved. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, you you are up. I am up. All right, we're going to listen to a piece, a large mixed ensemble piece uh, by Tanya Leon. And at one point, I knew how to pronounce it extremely well. I might butcher it now, and I apologize, but I've looked everywhere for how to pronounce it. But it's, it's Indigena? Indigenia? I can't remember. I knew how to say it two years ago when I performed it, which is how I found it. Um, And of all of the pieces of Tanya Leon's, I feel like even people who know her and her music really well, when I mention this piece, no one knows about it. Mm. And so uh, I've put it on my own listening list for my students and one of them presented on it, uh, I believe last year. And Rob Deemer was like, where did you find this piece to the student? They were like, it's on Professor Sampson's listening list. <laughs> um, but but uh, yeah, even, uh, you know, I was talking to Ben Reutel Ward last week um, about bassoon multiphonics, and I don't think there are any in, in this one, but um, he had never heard of it. And it does have a big bassoon solo right at the beginning, which we are not listening to today. Um, instead, we're going to listen to almost the end. It's about... About 30, 30, 30 seconds before the end where we're going to stop or so. 30 seconds before the end. It yeah. just, it fades. This have got a really long fade out on it. So I wanted to listen to some of the raucousness before that. But let's listen and then I'll comment. <laughs> Thank you. 
That's fun. It's <laughs> cool. I don't think there's any way as a performer in it to hear everything that's going on in it. And that's one of the things I really like. Well, I was going to say for, for me listening to the clip, I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking of all my favorite moments in uh, Ives and Schnitka and, and just kind of like a, a wee bit of Gershwin here and there. There's a, a there's a, um, there's a stream of consciousness about it that I find pretty captivating. It also does all of this without any limited aliatory at all. It's all notated in polyrhythms oh, wow. and stuff like that. That yeah. you're kidding. And that that is kind of the thing that like the 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 hardest part for me learning this, aside from the fact that I could only practice between midnight and two AM leading up to this performance. <laughs> um, Yikes. Oh, yeah, it was a Bad month for practicing here. <laughs> it was sweltering it was, summer. That kind of I thing. think it was like eighty five every day, and our house doesn't have air conditioning, and I didn't have an air conditioned office at school, so I was just waiting until midnight to start playing. Um, but the some of the dance rhythms were not making any sense to me because they didn't mm. seem like dance rhythms because they're written sure. in an entirely different meter. And I'm like five eight, but I'm doing this. Thing and I'm, I just don't know where I fit. And the second I was with the ensemble, and this happens to me, honestly, a lot. This is part of the reason why I don't play in large ensembles is because I like to wait until the first rehearsal to be like, I don't want to learn the whole thing so precisely that I have a hard time breaking my brain out of it. I'd like to figure yeah. out where I gel and then I panic practice <laughs> between the first and second That seems rehearsals. really healthy. It's so great. It's so great. But it worked in this case. I mean, I practiced it quite a bit. I'm not I'm not I'm not lying in this case. Um, I did practice it quite a bit. But the second I got into rehearsal and I realized, like, I'm just with the clarinet and the strings and we've got this little dance rhythm going on. And it's just against everyone else. We are doing our own thing. We could be in a meter all our own. It could be like the Britain uh, Death in Venice where the conductor starts different groups off in different tempos and then ignores them and starts a different group and, you know, yeah, totally different tempo. And uh, and then everybody just kind of gathers until they cut off. Well, that's what really sounded like with the with the percussion in, in particular, like the I think it was you know, um, playing on like glass bottles or something like that. That was completely porcelain all- teacups. All right. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but just completely off on its own. The trumpet was kind of off on its own. Obviously the middle stuff that I couldn't really identify was you and, um, and strings like doing their own. What? It didn't, I was listening for a bassoon. I couldn't hear a bassoon. It blends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um andrew i really like the comment you mentioned about kind of having a stream of conscience like quality which yeah. i i like that in music and i like when a piece of music can give like emulate that effect without being that you know what i mean and i yes. think that that's a really yeah. challenging thing to accomplish as a composer to get that sort that that kind of energy. And I would agree. I think that it really does that really well, where it kind of gets this sense of like a little bit of this and then some of that. <laughs> it's kind of like, um, and it, it can be, it's just wonderfully inventive and colorful and exciting. And I think that, um, I mean, that's something that I, I know if I sat down to write a piece and I said like, Oh, I'm going to get that qual I would fail miserably. I think that that's something that just takes so many years of experience and practice to be able to do that effectively. And I would agree. I think this piece does that really well and i think that's a really like succinct way of describing one of the reasons that it's an exciting experience to listen to that's actually why i bring up the uh the gershwin specifically i'm thinking of rhapsody in blue and when i bring up that piece most people are like oh you mean the jazz influence that that or or some kind of oh there's a muted trumpet i'm like no 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 the form like the form of that Mm, piece it's (laughs) it really is like listening to it i'm like I would not have necessarily expected that that was coming next, but that was a really, really like well prepared stream of consciousness where yeah. it it didn't seem like it was being uh, forced or pandered to. It just kind of happens mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, we're here and I like yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jamie, could I ask you a, a question about yeah. this piece and why? why? So um, one thing that just an observation I've had with some of the pieces I've written for friends in the past has been. Um, like when I've written a piece for a particular friend who plays a particular instrument, they have often 
um, formed an opinion about that piece, and rightly so, based on how the experience is for them as a performer on that instrument. Because, of course, if you're playing a piece for your instrument, that largely informs your decision. I'm curious for, like, you know, you were talking a lot about this from your standpoint as a performer, right, And, and learning to play it and the challenges that come with it. Is that something, or I'm trying to think the best way to phrase it, but like, do you think your opinion would be different on this piece if you had never played it, right? It was just another piece oh, yeah. that you knew? Like, what? so how, how every, do you think it would be different? Every piece I play, I get, I get a deeper understanding of it than I ever could through analysis. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it's partially living through the rehearsal experience. It, it's partially, you know historical memory of a measure where the flute player threw something, you know, like not yeah. really, <laughs> not really. I'm yeah. making that up. Um, but, uh, but I get what you mean though. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, I have a really different experience listening to the Brahms symphonies than I do some of the Beethoven's because I've played all four Brahms, but I haven't played all nine Beethoven's. Mm-hmm. So, um, I definitely think I have a different experience. Now this particular one, I was having a really rough time in everything external to performance that summer. Sure. Yeah. Um, and this was a really kind of great little oasis. And that's partially, mm. I think, why I sunk so deeply into it. It was it was it's not an easy piece to play and it's not an easy piece to play while you're also doing administrative work during the day mm-hmm. and trying to like run to rehearsal for an hour while three people desperately need you to answer emails and then step out of it. But we didn't have enough bassoonists that summer. And so I was like, okay, well I'll take this part. It doesn't look like the hardest one we've got. I should be fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Famous last word. I mean, I think by the last rehearsal, I had a gotten to know more of the participants at the festival because I was sitting in rehearsals with a huge number Mm -hmm. of them. Um, and some of the faculty as well, because it's at, at the festival I was playing at, it's not just the students who perform the chamber orchestra is built of, you know, whoever we can pull in. So if we're short on percussionists, Mm -hmm. percussion faculty fills in. And if we're short on bassoonists, the executive director filled in. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so yeah, this was, I mean, I have a lot of experiences that are tied to this. I know that she's, you know, she was born in Havana. There's a lot of mm-hmm. Cuban and, and Latin American music influences, but also I was playing this in a sweltering Italian town. Um, sure, yeah. so I have a, a flavor to this piece. If we bring back a yeah. word from earlier, that yeah. is, very different than if I had just sat down to listen to it or sat down to analyze that it. it would have been a yeah. very cold interpretation of it. So every sure. piece that I perform is much like that. And, uh, yeah, there are some that I will never play again. If, if my, unless my life depends on it. Yeah. Schumann three. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, well, fuck that no, that, no that, it's that just raises, the bassoons oh, only rest for 11 measures yeah. and you can't hear us the whole time. So we end every rehearsal exhausted with a migraine and nobody knows why we're there. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the the whole kind of thing you're saying too, it it raises a a tangentially connected and interesting point, which is to say, like, um, I just wonder how many pieces any of us talking right now might have liked if we had come across them at a different time or like location in our life, oh, right? Oh, I was yeah. I always kind of oh, wonder yeah. what what my list of pieces that I don't like is, and how many of them is because of musical reasons or how many it was other. And we can never know. And it's, it's stupid to think about for too long, but it's, it's fun. Yeah. I mean, or it's fun. Like when you hear a piece again and you're like, God, I hated this piece. And you're like, why? What was, what was wrong <laughs> like, with what, me then? Yeah. What rubbed me the wrong way about this? That's piece? what, yeah, that's what I that try to, that's what I try to convey to my, some of my students because it's yep. like, you know, like I'm making you listen to all of this different stuff right now. And, you know, they all hate it, of, of course. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, just just get like, give it a give it a minute. All right. You know, maybe listen to it a second time. Maybe realize that in 10 years you might come back to it and like it like I did with Boulez. Like I hated Boulez <laughs> for a long time. Oh, Shit, John Fielder just texted me. You are dead. He's coming for you. <laughs> but now, but now, here, let's make sure he he gets this part. Now I, I just love Boulez, and it's like it, it's that it's that like I wasn't ready for it, but I'm glad I no. but I'm sure. glad I experienced it early to know to come back to it. You know. 
Sure. Well, yeah, so. I think with all of um, our listening lists, the purpose is not to just show our students what's out there. It's also to help raise their analytical maximum when they're listening. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like they ha- they come in with a teaspoon of information and of what they like. I like thimble. Okay, great. <laughs> we don't care. Um, and and <laughs> a thimble of information. <laughs> and and our job is to expand that rapidly over four years. And um and if we're doing it right, we're we're kind of allowing their the complexity in the music to help them understand more and more complex music. Yeah. And so we have one student who came in only listening to, you know, Chopin and Mozart and that's it. And his music came across as very Chopin-esque. And Mozart is shocked. Yeah. Not Mozart. Oh, mostly okay. Th- thankfully mostly Chopin. <laughs> Um, and after two years, (laughs) after two years of, of going through listening lists about, you know, three, four weeks ago, he was like, you know, I'm finding that I can't just sit and listen to Chopin anymore. I really need to throw some Gubitalina in there. And I was like, my job is done. Go study with someone else. (laughs) (laughs) We have a rotation. We have a rotation at Fredonia. You're supposed to go study with someone else. I didn't kick him out of our... (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's make our way to our final selection, Andrew. Uh, yes, a, yes, a composer that we've th- that we've heard before on this podcast, <laughs> on and over drinks, it, in fact. It is actually yes, and and uh, I'm I'm glad that uh, Carter is here for this because it was just Rob and Jamie and I that were talking about Sebastian Fagerlund's uh, Mana, which was his bassoon concerto. Uh, over drinks, which which we got, uh, I think some hilarious snippets up of <laughs> angry of that beaver particular. sounds. Yes, that yes, indeed. I impersonated an angry beaver. I'm never drinking that much again, or living that moment down. <laughs> Uh, so I, I decided to kind of come back to uh, Fagerlund, and I did this, Carter, without knowing what you would be bringing to the table, which is really uh-huh. fascinating. Um, so uh, Sebastian Fagerlund is a Finnish composer, and um, he uh, got his composition diploma from the Sibelius Academy. So uh, th- there's, a, there's a Sibelius connection for you. I, again, tenuous connections I'm making here, but you love Sibelius. He went to the Sibelius yeah. Academy. Close enough. Um <laughs> So I, I also would just like to make it known. I think I am like one of nine Sibelius fans left in the world. I think I, I feel I feel like I, I really like, like things Sibelius. that were popular 30 years ago because I like the band U2, which no one else likes anymore. And I like Sibelius, which no one else likes anymore. And I'm going to I'm going to ride this island just to, do, to do all it. the way down. Do it. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Fagerlund got that composition diploma from the Sibelius Academy in 2004. Okay. So, so he is kind of, uh, getting his culminating, uh, degree a couple years after I graduate high school. And I do, I do this with all my students too. I tell them to put everything in perspective of their own existence. Like if there's a date that's important to you, you might remember dates associated with other people. If you bring it back around to, to make it, because I am, I am the star of my own <laughs> opera. God damn it. Um, so, so 2004 Fagerlund graduates, right? And two years later, less than two years later, he comes out with his clarinet concerto. So this clarinet concerto that we're going to listen to is from, uh, 2006 and a lot of critics, uh, and, and musicologists and, and folks who get paid to think about music like this, um, kind of, kind of consider this a turning point in Fagerlund's career, uh, Fagerlund doesn't, I don't know if he necessarily loves that idea. I think he tends to be like most of my composition idols and think about their entire output as just a continuum, this, this just mm-hmm. stream of evolving material. Um, but I definitely think those longtime listeners, uh, from the podcast will hear some things that will end up in eventually his bassoon concerto a few years down mm-hmm. the road by listening yeah. to just this little fragment, this two minute fragment. And I think we're, we're going to listen to most of the introduction, all the first of it. movement. We'll, we'll listen to all of it. Fair, fair enough. Uh, it's uh, so this first movement is called Entrada. And uh, so it is an entrance into this four movement form, the clarinet concerto by Sebastian Fagerlund.
Mm. <laughs> I saw cool. I saw that face, Jamie, when the bassoon started started in. No, what face? No. no. So so I should mention before we move on. So this this uh, concerto is dedicated to uh, Christopher Sundquist, who is the uh, first clarinetist for the Finnish Radio Symphony. So so hotshot clarinetist uh, worked with Fagerlund for a number of years previous to this uh, particular piece. Um, but yeah, I can I can definitely hear some connective tissue in the continuum uh, moving toward mana. Yeah, there there's some things that like I really, really like about the clarinet writing in this. And um, it made me think of things that I, I want to be kind of doing in the, in the two pieces I'm, I'm writing right now for, for wins. Um, each of them is the, those like those big uh, leaps from, from low to high where you just get the uh, barely a hint of the low note. You're not even really mm-hmm. hearing a pitch. You're hearing a sound from the instrument. Yeah. I love that sound that, you know, obviously I can't do it with my voice right now, but that, that like, just like almost like a blip in the, in the low yeah. register and then going back up to high. It's, it's so good. You should leaping, try. It would sound like Yoda. Like, leaping, ring, leaping ring, twelfths ring, and beyond. Ring, 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 ring. I, I don't think that's it. Quite but. like yodeling. No. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I think there, there's quite a few moments uh, uh, like that. And, and you know, I'm uh, the more I think about this and the more I think about if this is kind of a, a turning point in, in Fagerlund's style, uh, I'd love to slap a name on this, like, you know, neo-primitivism. Because I, I, I kind of get, like, Stravinsky vibes in some ways sure. from, yeah. like, the ostinato, the layering, because he'll use these different types of things. The in, wash of, like, the, his, his scale patterns are, mm-hmm. they drive me crazy. I love them so much. <laughs> I love them. Uh, it's, like, mostly chromatic. It's except, except yeah. like every four or five notes, he throws in a whole step and then he puts everything in canon. And sometimes it's only like a 16th note off. So you just get this mm. wash of sound, um, which is different than the way Stravinsky did it. But you still get some pretty big gestures like that in Stravinsky as well. Did anybody else call it neo-primitivism? Or no, I don't think I'm up? just making shit up at this point. Okay. All right. It's just an over drinks. Do you, do you ever think like I'm I'm kind of working on this? This is a thing I deal with. So, okay, I'm going to pre- I'm going to step several steps back. <laughs> so this podcast is kind of weird for me because it's been a while since I've done one of these. And, you know, the three of you might be able to appreciate this, but I don't teach composition. Right. Like that's not my job anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm kind of out of this world and don't take this the wrong way. But I'm kind of glad to be in a different musical sphere for a while. You know, what I mean, like my students make like like really experimental like EDM and they do like metal albums and nice. stuff. And I, yeah. I'm, if I'm being completely honest with you, I would not go back the other way. I'm loving this career that I, that was kind of accidentally handed to me and I've been finding it really artistically f- fulfilling. Um, and and it, that might just be because it's a contrast to what I did for the last like 10 years of school. Right. And that, that I think that could be good for anyone. So I'm, I'm kind of coming at this with a, from a different standpoint, but one of the things I often talk about with my students these days, I find that undergraduate students, uh, get fixated on like genre constraints and it's interesting yep. when we put like labels of of like primitivism and neo this that the other and and how like <laughs> sorry <laughs> nope say do, it do it we know where you're oh, going no, no, no I, I actually i i was going to say something really different i just mean it's really weird how we feel the need to categorize and sort of put these things into boxes to help us make sense and that makes sense because i think that's part of the human condition but it's so interesting to me when i see it kind of unfold in real time as we're as we are dissecting and analyzing things. And it would be kind of fun <laughs> if that just went away. But I also understand that's how humans interpret. What I was thinking, what I was actually thinking a second ago is that I almost never drink anymore. I just <laughs> been almost completely cut from my life. And so it's amazing how this is a, this is like 40 proof or something, which is relative, it's strong enough to that straight. I can't believe how much this is affecting me. That's what I was leading to for a second there. Nice. Um, but I just always wonder like, what is the merit? And, and basically I'm encouraging my students and I'm working on a video right now for them to be able to watch in the future about the, the, the importance of kind of not falling too much into these isms and this genre because you end up just um, conforming so strongly to yeah. other stuff. And I'm not at all saying, yeah. Andrew, that this piece does that. It just, my mind kind of went there because of this idea of giving this ism to it, which references it to other things. And I just always wonder, like, why is it that we, God, we just have this love compulsion to, label, you to know? do it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think yeah. it's it's yeah. finding finding those relationships because we did the same thing with your piece. We said that mm-hmm. you oh, know there were yeah. there were commonalities that we found. Mm-hmm. Do I think it's actually you know descendant from 
um, become ocean? No, I think it was written before mm-hmm. that, so it couldn't have been. Mm-hmm. Um, and but we we intrinsically, I think, look for the familiar and kind of reach to latch those two things together so that we have a way to put it in perspective. Without yeah. that, we'd be writing in a vacuum. Not only perspective, mm-hmm. yeah. but of course, yeah. as as all of us are educators, I mean we have to communicate this very quickly to a large group of people. And sure, yeah. so labels make that really convenient. Mm-hmm, yeah. Of course, <laughs> when I teach my styles and genres class, uh, the mm-hmm. very first lecture is basically all this is bullshit. <laughs> like that, yeah. that's how, that's how yeah. I open, that's how I open the yeah. styles and genres class. And then class. you do eight weeks of isms. And then I do eight weeks of isms, right? <laughs> teach them, yeah. them how to write in each of But, <laughs> but what I say is, you know, just because you use planing does not mean you're writing in an impressionist style. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and you have to you what students don't often understand because they haven't had time with a thing long enough time to synthesize and and explore is that uh, it's never uh, an all or nothing or it's never mm-hmm. oh check this box and you'll be in right it yeah. is it is how how many types of things stylistic idioms do you borrow in what ways because you can use all of the uh, idiomatic devices and tropes of an impressionist, but mm-hmm. not in the context of an impressionist, and you will end up with something sure. that is not impressionist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I I think that that um, I mean I think that could. What was I trying to think of how I want to phrase this? I think I, I run into that with a lot of my students where they, especially because like you ever you ever do that? I'm doing this for this for this little thing I'm working on, but Google uh, like a genre and read the Wikipedia page. Start with a broad level genre. Start with rock. <laughs> start with rock and roll. Read the Wikipedia page for rock and roll. And then and then follow the offshoot. See how many tabs you can have open in your browser in a minute. And I mean, which will lead you to metal, which will lead you to the 50 different offshoots of, of metal, metal. Right? It's just uh-huh. unreal. To It's just this. I don't know. It's just an interesting phenomenon that's been on my mind lately. And you kind of provoke that thought while thinking about it. And I, I don't know. Um, that's a cool piece piece though i really i've never heard of this composer or that piece before so this is kind of fun to also discover something new um oh yeah yeah you were just talking about like um you know the the offshoots upon offshoots upon offshoots you know (laughs) there there are a couple chapters in the theory book that we teach from that i feel like i am only teaching them this concept for one composer you know Mm -hmm. like it is so goddamn (laughs) specific and they're never gonna. So, like, you know, we've we've just been kind of strategically cutting things out here and there because of how, like, look, you know, we're, they're never they're never ever gonna see this because. But yeah, there there have been so many times where I feel like, why why is this a thing that the book, you know, the the king of isms, the book is making it so important when you when we know it's like. No, that was just for that one person that did that that one time, you know. Yeah. And some theorist, oh, this is cool, you know. But anyway, Should probably hey, in the history class. Pu- publisher parish, and... man. Publisher parish. <laughs> <laughs> well, Carter, you're a little bit late, but I think we're going to get you out more or less on time. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I don't, I don't think this is too terrible, and it, it is lovely uh, to uh, to uh, to uh, to speak with you all. <laughs> That's my. That's my Jeff Goldblum at my uh, best. Oh, did my camera freeze? It yeah. Did. Sometimes. Sorry. <laughs> I can fix that. But you, uh, you have a really, camera. you have a really, really good, um, you know, portrait up of you. You're very happy. <laughs> if I, oh, it, you know, it's this little, it's because it's a DSLR going through a capture card. And I have found that my USB port after a certain amount of time just gives up. And it's yeah, just like, it's, nah, it's just done. It's like, I don't want to. Yeah. And, and it's like a, it's like a. Uh, what am I? Oh, hold on, let me just so I can finish the day. Can you? Oh, come on. Uh, eh, can you? Yeah. Is it coming through? Maybe. Not yet. No. Not yet. Why is that? Oh, there we there go. There it is. There, there we go. Okay. Back to the old, the old Logitech. <laughs> it never fails. Um, I don't know what I was saying. Me neither. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> you were saying something about your tolerance. <laughs> yeah, it is, man. I just, I just really do not drink alcohol these days. It is just kind of left from my life. So well, this, this was a good excuse to pour a drink, though. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know what would fix that? Uh, being a more frequent guest on Overdrinks. <laughs> no, that's true. Because that, we're all fucking be alcoholics good. right now. <laughs> After the last six yeah. weeks or whatever, it's been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My recycle bin has never been this full of beer bottles. It just yeah, doesn't happen yeah. at our house. And I was just yeah. like, wow, what? That's that's what our yeah. pandemic looks like. 
Wow. Let's see. Okay, wait. So, Rob, you are in... It's so Neither of your guys' states have weed legal, right? Right? Neither of you guys have done that yet? No. 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 Okay, because we... It's legal in Michigan now, and, like, I, it, it was a few months. I mean, you, you can't... Like, so, if you know me, I don't know who knows me super well in this spot, but drugs were never a thing in my life. Yeah. Right? I don't know if you can tell from everything about me, but um, I... Uh, ever since it became legal in Michigan, I just thought, well, let's try this. And I, I, like what I have found is that like really low doses of THC with, um, like high CBD content, Mm -hmm. um, helps me relax at night. Like it helps with anxiety tremendously. And I I haven't slept through the night in 20 years. I don't, I wake up just in like a panic attack every morning and that's been my life for decades and this helps. So I just stopped drinking alcohol and just taking small doses of that instead at night. And that's been wonderful. So there's been no reason for alcohol. And, And then the best part about like that you wake up and you're like i feel better than yesterday (laughs) it's just all these bad choices one after the other and i i wish i hope it becomes legal in every state soon because i think for for a lot of reasons it can really help a lot of people the podcast would the podcast would change it would really (laughs) no longer over drinks i was i was so tempted to just pop an edible 40 minutes before we started and see how this went um but if I, I think if I had done that and if I had taken like a little larger dose than just the amount to kind of help me relax at night, it would have, I would have been speaking in tongues. It would have been absolute nonsense. <laughs> well, oh, we'll awesome. look forward to that on a future podcast. Um, <laughs> Over edibles. Yes. <laughs> but for the present moment, we'll close this one yeah. out. So thanks for listening. Thanks to all of you for, for bringing these pieces. And uh, we'll... See you next week with whatever else we come up with in this in these weird times. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com. <laughs>